0: Morning. Thank you, Gordon. How many uh, people are familiar with or have heard the term game changer? Okay. You come across it and, and see it used in, in all kinds of different ways and contexts now. So it's the title of a, a Sky Sports One program. That's aimed at inspiring young people to take up sport. It's also the description of a visionary person in the world of business. According to uh, one source, this term first came into use in 1993. So, So it's quite recent. But the reason I mention it is because I was reading this week how someone has described the resurrection of Jesus Christ as a game changer or the game changer of all time. And that, when I read that, it really caught my attention. And so I went and I looked up the definition of game changer. Here's what it says. A game changer is a newly introduced element or factor that changes an existing situation or activity in a significant way. I think about that. Because based on that explanation or that meaning, I think it's absolutely right. It's appropriate to suggest or rather state that the resurrection was. It is a game changer because it has changed or it changes life. And maybe more importantly, it changes death. An existing situation in a dramatic and highly significant way. And so as part of our Up, In, and Out series, which we have been doing together as a church on Sunday mornings based in the book of Acts, I want us to think about this game changer. But I want to use the Apostle Peter's speech in Acts chapter 2 that we actually skipped when we started this series because I wanted to come back to it this morning. Because a core part of that speech refers to and deals with the resurrection of Jesus. And so I want to use Acts chapter 2, verses 14 to 40, as our biblical text for this Easter Sunday. If you have a Bible, could I encourage you, urge you to turn there? It's page 1093 in the Red Pew Bibles. It will be really helpful if you're able to follow along. And what I want to do is I want to, I want to read Peter's explanation of the first Easter Sunday. And also, subsequent events, or rather, to explain the first Easter Sunday in light of subsequent events, because that's what Peter effectively does here. So, let's start at verse 14. Keep your seats at the minute. We'll stand uh, a little while later. But, verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven. Hadn't really noticed that a little bit before. Always thought that kind of Peter stood up on his own and gave this speech. But it says Peter stood up with the eleven, so they're kind of all flanking him. But he's the one who speaks. He raises his voice and he addresses the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Now just pause there for a moment and glance down to verse 22 because Peter repeats this appeal to listen to what he's going to say. And although this is a bit of a side issue, I think it's worth mentioning. No matter how good, how able or eloquent a speaker or a preacher is, The importance of listening well and being prepared to engage with what they are sharing is vital. Jesus stressed something similar whenever in Luke's gospel he made this point. So pay attention, Jesus said, to how you hear. Or in another translation, consider carefully, says Jesus, how you listen. Peter encourages those in Jerusalem to listen carefully to him. As it turns out, thousands did and their lives are dramatically transformed. But being prepared to listen and to kind of pay attention whenever we come to this part of a service each week is really important. But then you'd probably guess I'd say that. Although let me ask you a question. Are you listening carefully? Not necessarily to me. I'd quite like that, but not necessarily to me. Are you listening carefully to God's word? Slightly different question. Do you come to church expecting to hear God speak to you through his word? Back to Peter's speech or sermon. Because what he does here is he, he begins by explaining that a new day has come. A new moment in time has arrived. That's why the disciples, the hundred plus followers of Jesus at this time, are all speaking in these different and diverse heart languages. They're not drunk at 9 a.m. in the morning, as some people thought. This is way bigger and far more intoxicating than that. This is a sign, this is a marker that we've now arrived at, we've now entered the last days. In other words, a time, a lot of confusion around that term, last days, but what it really means is a time when promises, God's promises, are being fulfilled. You see, the Jewish people in community had been waiting for years, decades, centuries For the promised moment in time when literally everything would change. They longed for it, dreamed of it, prayed for it, ached for it, agonized for it. When hopes would be realized and new possibilities would kick in. And the question on many people's lips was that classic, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And as Peter stands up and addresses this massive crowd, he says, yes, we are here we've arrived. And he refers them back to the Old Testament prophet Joel. And he quotes what Joel said to prove that we're here, that we've arrived. Let's stand and read from verses 16 to 21. Or Let me pick up verse 15. These men are not drunk as you suppose it's only nine in the morning. Verse 16. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Take a seat. Now, Joel, Joel said that, prophesied that, predicted that, whatever way you want to say it, some 800 years previously. Well, now, says Peter, it's happening. Before your very eyes. And as he's about to explain, it's happening today, it's happening now because of and as a result of the life, death, and more importantly, maybe, the resurrection of Jesus. That's why this is all kicking off. That was the catalyst. He, Jesus, was the catalyst. And particularly what he went through and did and experienced about 50 days previous to this on that Good Friday and then three days later, that is what has released and sparked what they're now hearing, what they're now witnessing, what they're now confused by, perplexed by. This fresh burst of divine energy as God's Spirit is poured out on a lot of people all at once is tangible evidence that a new day has arrived, a new day has come, the new day that they had longed for. Nothing. Nothing is ever going to be the same again. As Joel said, in the last days, God declared, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. And Peter says, listen, that is exactly what's happening now. But just before we move on to hear Peter link this directly to Jesus and specifically to the resurrection, the game changer... I want to highlight a couple of key thoughts from Peter's opening remarks as he quotes Joel. And this relates to what God was doing and what God is still doing. One, it's incredibly inclusive. There's no discrimination that you hear. There's between slave and free, male and female, young and old. There's no category of people left out. Both genders, all ages, all social classes are included. That means, hear this, you're in. I'm in. We can all be part of this irrespective of upbringing, background, culture. There are no exceptions. But alongside that, hot on its heels. I also need to stress, and some of you are itching a bit, I also need the stress that as well as being incredibly inclusive, it's genuinely focused. Look at verse 21, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's your call. It's your decision. You can, if you like, exclude yourself By never calling on Jesus to save you, you can exclude yourself. Do you know, we know from elsewhere in Scripture that God doesn't want anyone to miss this, God doesn't want anyone to perish. But He doesn't force it on anyone either. It's for everyone who calls in the name of the Lord. It's your call. Similar to the most famous verse in the whole Bible, John 3 16. God so loved the world, that's the whole world, that he gave Jesus to the whole world. Then it's whoever believes in him will experience life in all its fullness or will not die and have eternal life. Whoever believes, anyone can. Clearly, not everyone will. You can exclude yourself. The so question this morning is do you, do you believe in Jesus? Have you called on his name? Because if and when you do, everything changes. God's Spirit is poured out over and into your life, and nothing is ever the same again. Do you know what God has done? What God is doing is inclusive and it's focused. Peter moves on, verse 22. And what Peter now does is he he connects what is happening, this phenomenon, this remarkable outpouring of the Holy Spirit, he connects it directly to Jesus. And he starts by referring to his life and his death. In terms of his life, Peter makes the point, Jesus was something else, someone very special. And listen, you knew it. Look at the end of that verse. As you yourselves know, you saw the miracles. You saw the wonders. You saw the signs. And Peter also clarifies here how those amazing things proved that Jesus was accredited by God. In other words, he was endorsed by God, backed by God. Jesus was central to God's promised plan, his rescue mission. But having just briefly, in a sense, referred to Jesus' life, he then turns to his death. And he says this, look at verse 23. You endorsed that. You backed that. You supported that event. You, with the help of wicked men, I'm just quoting verse 23. You, with the help of wicked men, nailed Jesus to a cross. Although he makes the rather critical point that this was all part of God's deliberate rather shocking plan. But having spent one verse in his life, one verse in his death, he now spent at least nine verses on the resurrection. Because it's this event, this reality, this fact that changes everything. This is the ultimate game changer, the complete shape shifter. Death could not hold Jesus. In fact, according to Peter, it was impossible for death to keep its grip on him. And what Peter wants to make crystal clear is that resurrection was and is about a physical body being very thoroughly dead, like dead, dead, beyond any shadow of a doubt, dead. But then, being very thoroughly alive again so that the normal corruption and decay which follows death doesn't take its toll. And as Peter points this out, he quotes, and as he drives home this point, he quotes from a psalm, a psalm that Peter knows all his hearers on that day in Jerusalem would have been familiar with. They would have probably known it off by heart. Psalm 16, have a look at that. This is what Peter quotes. It's a psalm of David, scan down it. It's where he speaks, it's where David speaks about not being abandoned to the realm of the dead, not suffering the usual fate of the dissolution of the flesh, where he says, you will not let your holy one see decay. But instead, what David says, God will somehow see the person in question through death and out the other side. But what Peter wants his listeners to get is that clearly David wasn't speaking of himself when he wrote this psalm. Look at verse 29. David did die. His flesh did decay. His tomb and its contents, says Peter, still here today. And so this means the only way you can read Psalm 16 is prophetically. In other words, to see it as referring to a son of David, a descendant of David, who would one day appear, and this that David uh, David has been speaking about would be his actual real life and death experience. This would be the proof that he is the one. If this actually happened to him, he is the Messiah. He wouldn't be abandoned to the realm of the dead. He will not see decay. So look at verse 32, where P- P- Peter says, God has raised this Jesus to life. And we're all witnesses of it. We've seen him. The resurrection is a game changer. A newly introduced element or factor that changes an existing situation in a significant way. The resurrection of Jesus changes life, and more accurately, as I said, it changes death. That existing situation where people died, buried, flesh decayed, end off. It's forever altered because of the resurrection of Jesus. Death has been defeated. That means there's hope now. There's new hope. There is so much more to life and death than we could have ever dreamed or imagined. Death is not the end. The physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus is a game changer. It says, Peter, do you know this is why This is why all those extraordinary circumstances of Pentecost are happening. Jesus is alive, and therefore the promised Holy Spirit is being poured out on all. And why is it happening? Because of Easter. Because of Good Friday. Because of Easter Sunday. And so Peter says, yes, some of you are amazed at hearing the wonders of God declared in your own heart language. Some of you are confused. Some of you are having a laugh, convinced that these people are off their heads. But you need to get this. It's happening because of Jesus. His life, his death, and ultimately his resurrection. Which brings Peter... At this point in his sermon to his big closing statement. Because having spoken about and confirmed the resurrection, he finishes his sermon with these words. Look at verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, or both Master and Messiah. How? How did God make this Jesus Lord and Messiah? By raising him from the dead. The resurrection confirms, declares, reveals beyond any shadow of a doubt. That Jesus is who He always said he was. Master. Saviour. Rescuer. Game changer. And the question now is. Will they, will you call on him to be your master, your savior, your rescuer, your hope? You see, at this point, Peter stops speaking. I kind of imagine there's a bit like this, there's a bit of a hush settles over the crowd. And then they respond. Then they react. You see, if we listen carefully, it's a bit of a condition actually. If we listen carefully, Jesus and the events of Easter, the cross, the resurrection, they provoke, they create, they promote a reaction, which can then lead to a response which in turn can bring about a life and future-changing result. And as we read on, we discover all three. Reaction, responses, results. And based on the fact that Peter has been concentrating on and emphasizing the reality that Jesus is alive, maybe we could look at it like this, remember it like this, this may be helpful. Resurrection, reaction, resurrection, responses, resurrection, results. You see, the gathered crowd have been listening carefully. They've been hanging on to every word Peter has spoken. And in verse 37, we discover their reaction. It says, they're cut to the heart. Or as the New Living Translation says, Peter's words pierced their hearts. Do you know this got under their skin This resonated at a very deep and profound level. This wasn't just another speech that they had passively listened to. And these people heard lots of speeches. This was different. This affected them. This explanation of Pentecost and Easter got to them. And it prompted them to ask a brilliant question. It's an essential question, what you have to ask whenever you're confronted by the story of Easter. Here's what they said. So what do we do now, Peter? What do we do now? In light of what we have heard, in light of Easter, in light of the fact that Jesus is alive, that all this is happening before our very eyes, this outpouring of the Spirit of God because Jesus lived, he died, and he came back to life again. What do we do now? And as quick as a flash, Peter identifies two ways to respond. Two ways that remain appropriate, I want to suggest, are still required and essential. Responses to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Repent and be baptized. And notice verse 36, each one of you. And again, we're back to what I said a few moments ago. It's inclusive focused. Each of you can and should do this, but not everyone will. You'll have to make that choice. You'll have to make those choices. A massive crowd did that day, but not everybody did. So the question is, what about you? What about me? Will, have we repented and been baptized? To repent. saying sorry. Sorry for the fact that it was my sin that held Jesus there on Good Friday. I was part of the crowd. And I know at our our Good Friday services at 8am and 8pm as we read that responsive reading together where we invited you to identify with the crowd. I know lots of you found it really difficult to actually say crucify him, but it was our sin that held him there, but repentance also indicates a change of direction, it's it's about turning round, it's about turning back from heading in the wrong direction, you see without repentance it would seem according to scripture, according to God's word, we are walking en route to disaster, we are walking headlong to a godless eternity, hell, To repent is about a reorientation of life towards Jesus as Lord and as Messiah, as Savior and rescuer. And therefore, it entails a radical change of attitude, word, and action. It's about surrendering to Jesus and his rule and reign in our lives. That's what it means to repent. Recognize it was my sin that held him there. Reorientate your life in a totally different direction. Other ways. the second response is to be baptized. It's to visualize your decision to accept Jesus as master and savior. That's what it meant here. To publicly confess your private commitment. And baptism in acts, as we're about to see as we keep journeying through it, is usually narrated as the normal next response to having believed, embraced, and personalized the story and message of Jesus. Baptism is the natural associated sign of repentance, the concrete act marking the reorientation of our lives to Christ in the Spirit. And if you're here this morning and you've taken that first responsive step, let me encourage you to consider taking the next. And in Jerusalem that day, according to verse 41, 3,000 people accepted the message and it says we're baptized so their response was real it was live and then finally nearly done look at the results verse 38 repent and be baptized says peter every one of you each of you this is inclusive but remember it's focused as you call. in the name of jesus christ For the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And there's two results. And the first is forgiveness. We have and we do mess up. It's ingrained into our DNA. And no matter what we do, we can never fully deal with its effect on our lives. And therefore, and I know many people struggle with this concept, but we stand guilty, condemned before a holy God and separated from the relationship with him that we were created to enjoy but as a result of God's love for the whole world. And for his deep desire to reconnect to this relationship, God offers forgiveness. And it's his to give I love this verse from Daniel. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness for we have rebelled against him. He offers it. He gives it. Why? Because of Jesus and what he went through on that first Easter as he laid down his life for the forgiveness of sins. Our sin, my sin, your sin. You can throw it all back in his face. That's fine. That's your choice. God's forgiveness is his to give and he longs to give it and he sent Jesus to make it possible and that is what we're celebrating this weekend. Repent and be baptized and when you respond like that, what happens? What is the result? Forgiveness of sin. Man's greatest need. And the second result, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, for those whose hearts are cut open, for those who repent and reorientate their lives to Christ, for those who know God's forgiveness, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he enables you to see and dream and live differently. He desires to make us more like Jesus. He empowers us to live the Christian life with integrity and commitment and hope. And so on this Easter Sunday morning, as we recall and celebrate the resurrection, the game changer of all time, the event, the reality, the truth that changes life and death in a significant way, let me ask you three questions. What is your reaction? What's your reaction? Has it impacted? Does it impact or pierce your heart? For the first time? In a fresh way? Question two How will you respond? In repentance? baptism? Question three. Are you grateful for the results? Do you thank God for forgiveness and for the gift of the Holy Spirit? Peter's final line, verse 40. Please hear this. Here's what Peter says. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. It's over to us. God's done it all. Jesus paid it all. Save yourselves. Whether we do, whether we accept it believe it call in the name of jesus probably depends on how carefully we've listened react respond slight change receive